Hello, I'm John Rossi, a touring drummer with a love of all things animal. When I'm on the road, I visit as many zoos, aquariums. Hey, wait a minute. What's going on? Hey, what's going on there? Hello? Hello? We interrupt your regularly scheduled program to bring you Rossafari Zoo News. News you can use from the world of zoos and conservation. Every week, we bring you breaking news and analysis from around the globe, featuring the animals you love and the people who care for them. And here's your anchorman, John Rossi. Hello, 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 and welcome to this week's episode of Rossafari Zoo News. If you're here, I'm guessing that you know the deal by now. We'll be spending the next half hour or so talking about the latest news in the world of zoos, conservation, and other animal stuff. So we'll start off with a couple of quick reminders. Make sure that you are following along at Ross Safari on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and at Ross Safari Pod on TikTok. Friendly reminder that if you happen to see any zoo news stories, you can email them to me at rossafaripod at gmail.com or simply tag me in them in any of those apps I just mentioned or feel free to DM me those stories. Lots of ways to reach me with these stories. You make my life a little bit easier with making these episodes and uh, in exchange, I will thank you at the end of the episode. There's not too much exciting news to report on my end today. Uh, still up at Northern Stage in Vermont. We are about to enter tech rehearsals as I'm recording this. For those of you that don't know, that's when we take the show out of the rehearsal hall and onto the stage for the first time where we add technical elements such as the proper sound and lighting and all of that good stuff. We get into our costumes and, and actually put the show together. It is a lot of fun, but it's also a lot of work. And so um, you may have noticed I've already been just a little less present on social media in the last couple of days, and that's probably going to continue. Uh, I'm still there. I'm still posting my daily pics and all that stuff. But um, if it takes me a minute to respond or if I miss a message or maybe put up a few less funky stories than you're used to, uh, that's why. Just know that the other job has taken over for a little bit, but I, uh, I'm still very focused on Safari and grateful to my awesome audience. Uh, you've been downloading this show at incredible numbers, and I just, I just love and appreciate all of y'all. So uh, thank you for being here, and thank you for listening to this ad from our sponsor. Today's episode is brought to you by Daydreamer Studios. Do you have stories and expertise to share with the world? Have you ever thought about starting your own podcasts? There's no better time to start than now with the help of a trusted production partner. Daydreamer Studios is a full-service production company that takes all the stress off your plate. You can focus on creating engaging content while they focus on recording, editing, audio engineering, hosting, and publishing on 22 platforms. Log into the advanced remote system with one click and the Daydreamer team will be on the other end ready for you to record everything you have to say. Owned and operated by Daydreamer Network, Daydreamer Studios continues on the company's mission to empower storytellers of all kinds by making podcasting accessible to all. For more information and current promotions, visit daydreamernetwork.com studios. And uh, I guess without further ado, it is time for... One, two, three, four. 
There's a funky monkey, treat kangaroo, or a binge around. It's news, yeah. All right, so we are starting off Zoo News today from one of my favorite aquariums. Now, you may or may not know this name, but trust me, my Rossifarians, you are going to get to know it. See, Moat Marine Laboratory is a marine lab and aquarium in Sarasota, Florida. Those of you playing along at home may remember that I just spent uh, somewhere between six and seven weeks gigging in Sarasota. And not only did I become a member at Moat, but boy howdy, were they happy to work with me for the podcast. In fact, you will be hearing not one, not two, but three episodes from Moat over the next couple of months because they do a ton of really amazing work there, and uh, I'm really excited to share just a small amount of that with you. But none of that is actually what I'm here to talk about right now. Instead, I'm here to tell you that Moat Marine Laboratory has opened the first of its kind Red Tide Mitigation Technologies Testing Facility. Red tides are a phenomenon of discoloration of the sea surface and um, is kind of a commonly used name for uh, algal blooms that occur along coastal regions. These are caused by terrestrial runoff containing fertilizers, sewage, and livestock wastes, uh, amongst other human causes. I mean, it definitely happens on its own sometimes, but these harmful algal blooms uh, are definitely exacerbated by human junk, just us being bad to the planet. And basically what happens is they um, produce a lot of harmful toxins, which get into and kill a lot of the small fish. And then those fish get eaten by larger animals and they also die off. This can affect things like manatees and dolphins and larger fish, as well as all of the small fish species and other small kind of microbiotic uh, life that is in the ocean and in the bays uh, that, that get hit by a red tide. This is a major problem that is happening in Florida right now. However, Moat Marine Lab is working on the problem. Uh, they actually have a kind of off-site facility called the Moat Aquaculture Research Park, where I got to go and where you'll get to visit audibly anyway for an upcoming episode. And uh, they have currently partnered with scientists and engineers from around the country to test a variety of mitigation technologies before deploying them in the bays and coastal waters of Florida in order to ensure that they will do no greater harm to the ecosystems and, in fact, just help to mitigate the red tide effect. This is just a huge step, and uh, Moat should be incredibly proud of the work they are doing to mitigate the incredibly dangerous red tide effects that are currently wreaking havoc uh, in Florida, but also at various times all around the world. And speaking of innovations, the Cincinnati Zoo veterinary team is yet again appearing in Rossafari Zoo News for the amazing, unique work they are doing. The team is currently using infrared thermography to non-invasively assess animal health. 
Thermography, which is non-invasive, can be used to obtain heart rate, respiration rate, and body temperature, while also capturing video from a diverse cross-section of species. So far, over 50 species have been looked at using thermography, and the results are clear. This definitely represents a new, non-invasive way to get health information about animals, which is especially important for animals that maybe don't want to participate in their own health care, or are not trained properly yet, or something like that. I also believe that the research being done at the zoo right now into this can definitely apply to in situ conservation down the road, since wild animals are not trained to participate in their own health care, and since oftentimes you end up having to anesthetize an animal to really give it a good health checkup, it becomes a lot easier to assess the health of an animal in the wild if you are able to use thermal imaging, something that is, again, non-invasive. This is really, really exciting news for in-situ conservationists down the road. And the Lucknow Zoo in India has also come up with a pretty cool innovation, although in a very different way than what we were just talking about. I'm sure that if you've ever been to a zoo, you have seen that you will have the ability to symbolically adopt an animal at the zoo. Depending on the level of adoption, you may get pictures of the animal or even paw prints or a plush version of the animal or a fact sheet, all kinds of different stuff. But oftentimes, adopting an animal is fairly expensive, especially if you want the good stuff like the plush animal, uh, which can actually exclude a lot of zoo guests from being able to participate because of financial reasons. So the Lucknow Zoo has come up with a sponsor-a-meal plan. Currently only running for its carnivores, the zoo has calculated the cost of one average meal for its tigers, jaguars, and some other carnivores, and you can now purchase one meal for those animals. Your name goes up on a digital sign for the day, and you get to know that you fed the animals for the day. Uh, financially, anyway. You don't actually get to, you know, give meat to a tiger. That, that would be cool, though. For some of the smaller carnivores, the prices are low enough that even children could participate in this program and not have to worry about breaking the piggy bank. In general, I think this is an awesome idea. It helps people connect to animals that they sponsor a meal for. It makes some extra money to help feed the animals, uh, especially during COVID times. That's pretty important. And, uh, it manages to give something special and unique that connects people who maybe can't afford to do an adoption to animals. Nice, nice move by the Lucknow Zoo. An orangutan at Taman Safari Sisarua in West Java, Indonesia, has become a TikTok star. After a zoo visitor accidentally dropped their sunglasses into the orangutan enclosure... A female adult orangutan with a baby on board went over and picked them up, immediately placing them on her face, illustrating that she knows how to wear sunglasses. I'm sure this is not a trained behavior, but merely something that, you know, she has learned from observation. 
As the video goes on, you see the orangutan in question try on the sunglasses and kind of experiment with them, wear them upside down, try putting them on backwards, shove them in her mouth a couple of times because primate, and also make real efforts to make sure that the juvenile orangutan hanging on her does not get to interact with them despite its best intentions. When Keeper staff arrived, they were able to simply give the proper command and have the orangutan in question throw the sunglasses back over the exhibit wall to the person who owned them in exchange for the Keeper throwing the orangutan some yummy treats. Unfortunately, the throw was a little errant and uh, the sunglasses did break, but it was still really cool to see. Now, y'all know nothing drives me crazier than people accidentally or purposefully dropping stuff into animal enclosures. Uh, but I did enjoy watching the TikTok and seeing the interaction, given that everything went okay. I'm just also really worried that this is now going to lead to other people, quote, accidentally dropping their sunglasses into primate enclosures, hoping to get their own viral TikTok moment. Let's not do that, okay? Please? Pretty please? I know, I know, preaching to the choir. And then there are my last two stories for Zoo News this week, which are both about COVID-19. Shocker, I know. First of all, more and more zoos around the country are starting to have to shut down their indoor exhibits again, or at the very least, make everyone mask up because of the prevalence of unvaccinated people and the rampaging Delta variant that is currently carving its way through the U.S. and much of the world. Y'all, I really don't want to see zoos have to start closing more exhibits again. I really don't want to have to keep wearing masks inside those exhibits, though I, I will if, if asked to. And I'm really scared that I'm going to lose my gigging opportunities again and that we're going to lose zoos for a couple months again as we did early on in the pandemic. Please, y'all, if you haven't had a chance to get the vaccine yet, if you're scared of it, please just get the vaccine. It is safe. It is effective. And I do not want to lose all the things that are so important to me, again, that are currently at risk because of this variant and others that may be coming down the pipeline. And, you know, it's also interesting to point out uh, Sumatran tigers at the San Diego Zoo Safari Park have been diagnosed with COVID again now. They're the latest animal for it to happen to. So now the, the staff at the San Diego Zoo and San Diego Zoo Safari Park are racing to vaccinate their animals with the animal vaccine that has been developed in order to save them from the people that are coming to the park and spreading COVID because they're not vaccinated or because they have the Delta variant. Please, please, both of these stories don't need to be an issue anymore. Go get your Fauci ouchie. Go get your shot, get the vaccine, and I will get us to conservation news. Stereotypical animal podcast theme song. Here to bring it to conservation news. So, somehow I missed out on Zaboomafu when I was growing up. And never really tuned into Wild Kratts with Miles too much. We uh, watched a couple episodes, but it wasn't his favorite show. And as such, I feel like the Kratt brothers um, aren't as high on my list of, like, 
known famous conservationists as they are for probably a lot of you listening to this. But Chris and Martin Kratt, not to be confused with Chris Martin from Coldplay, um, are amazing conservationists who have done a lot of work uh, to spread a conservation message, especially to children. The Krat Brothers have recently launched their Creature Hero Foundation, which you can find more information about at creaturehero.org. Their idea is that they want to set aside a lot of land to preserve animals. They've already started one creature fuge, as they call it, which is a, a refuge for bears in this case, and now they're looking to start a second one. You can go to CreatureHero.org to become a Creature Hero yourself and help them determine what species to create the next Creature Fuge for, help them fundraise for it, all kinds of good stuff. You are really able to become part of the solution if you go to, again, CreatureHero.org and sign up. There are all kinds of other ways that you can make small local impacts for conservation as well that the Crap Brothers will teach you about on their website. So definitely check it out at CreatureHero.org. And no, this is not a paid advertisement. I just think it's really cool. All right, so we all know that the IUCN is the organization that has their red list where they label species as endangered or threatened and all that good stuff. Well, now they also have something called the IUCN Green Status of Species. This is a new global standard used to measure how close a species is to being fully ecologically functional across its range and how much it has recovered thanks to conservation action. This is a really cool metric and the first of its kind in that it is taking into consideration the actual conservation work being done for the species as well as the overall genetic diversity and population size of said species. The first paper published using this new green status of species has been released in the uh, publication Conservation Biology. And they have given a green status assessment for 181 species. The paper has over 200 authors as they've been putting a lot of time and effort into this new status. To quote the paper, Preventing the extinction of species is the ultimate goal that conservationists have traditionally pursued. But we have come to understand that true success would be to revert the decline to the point where animals, fungi, and plants fulfill their ecological functions throughout their range, resulting in species that are not just surviving, but thriving. As the world's first standardized method for assessing species potential for and progress towards such a recovery, the IUCN green status will help inform conservation plans and steer action to meet national and international goals for 2030 and beyond. It also provides a metric for quantifying and celebrating conservation success. Honestly, y'all, I could spend the rest of this episode just going into details on exactly what green status means, but I know that, you know, it's kind of sciencey and kind of nerdy and might not be something that everyone is interested in. 
I may have yawned twice when reading about it, even though I actually think this is very cool. If you are interested, I highly recommend going to IUCN.org and checking out the article there that goes into amazing detail on exactly what this green status means. Noted herpetologist, conservation educator, television personality, and conservationist Tom Hudak has passed away. Tom spent his entire life trying to educate as many people as possible about the amazing reptiles that he loved, especially snakes, doing so everywhere from small one-on-one encounters to national television shows such as The Late Show with David Letterman, Inside Edition, Today, and Good Morning America. Along with his education work, Mr. Hudak was heavily involved in Operation Shellshock, an investigation that targeted commercial sale and illegal trafficking of native New York reptiles and amphibians. In fact, when Operation Shellshock had a hard time finding places to place all of the venomous reptiles that were confiscated, Tom took them into his own home to rehabilitate them and then help get them to permanent homes. While not nearly as famous as, say, a Steve Irwin or the aforementioned Krat Brothers, Mr. Hudak was absolutely beloved by the herpetological community and many herp keepers that I know considered him to be a personal hero. This is a loss that definitely stings the herp conservation community. Our condolences to his family. The fourth sighting of a North Pacific right whale off the coast of British Columbia in Canada could mean huge, hugely good news for this incredibly endangered species. It is believed that the entire population of North Pacific right whales is under 500 total animals, which live in two different groups, one of which is about 470 strong, and one of which has maybe 30 individuals in it. And up until 2013, these two pods were the only North Pacific right whales believed to still be in existence. However, back in 2013, while researching a pod of humpback whales, scientists noticed that there was a different-looking whale in there and quickly came to realize that it was, in fact, a North Pacific right whale. This has now happened three more times off the coast of British Columbia, with each whale being a different individual. This is especially important as there are no pods of North Pacific right whales off the coast of British Columbia, and in fact, before the first one, these animals were thought to have completely disappeared from the area. So while four sightings in the last eight or nine years isn't exactly super exciting, it's actually kind of a big deal. It doesn't mean that the population is on the rebound, but it definitely means that there are at least some individuals still in an area where it was believed that man had completely wiped out the species. Some good news for the red squirrel in Britain. So, in the Victorian era, Britons became absolutely obsessed with North American gray squirrels and as such imported them into the country. This was not only a bad idea because they are a wildly invasive species, but also because the natural-born red squirrels were trying to share the territory with the new gray squirrels, and the grays simply were not having it. 
I, I like to think that, you know, you had your English red squirrels being nice and offering tea, and then your American gray squirrels were running around, drinking beer, yelling bad stuff, and, and just kind of being American about the whole thing. And uh, yeah, they ended up taking over. Gray squirrels are now the dominant squirrel species in most of Britain, except for in the Scottish Highland area. Although there is still a good chance that they will take that over as well. However, thanks to advanced modeling techniques by Professor Andy White, a mathematical biologist at Harriet Watt University, there are going to be about 20 havens across Scotland where viable populations of red squirrels would remain even if the gray squirrels continue to take over the rest of the country. The knowledge of where these potential strongholds are located can really help shape conservation policy for the red squirrel in Britain, especially in Scotland, where the current conservation plan is to kill off some trees that they're hoping that gray squirrels like more than red squirrels and also kill off a bunch of gray squirrels. I mean, it's a plan, but hopefully we can uh, use a little bit of land resource management along with this model to create a better plan to save the red squirrel, which is not endangered globally, but is very endangered locally, especially in Scotland. And now for some good news about a species that is often believed by people to be an internet hoax, but isn't. Have you ever seen a blue bee? That's right. It's a bee, but it's blue. It's very, very indigo, and it looks very, very cool. The bee is incredibly rare, and uh, many people see pictures of them online and believe they are photoshopped, but this is an actual animal, and the population was near extinction, but conservation efforts appear to be working, and now the blue bee is being sighted more and more regularly in Florida again. Along with being beautiful, the blue bee is actually an incredibly important pollinator because it collects pollen by bobbing its head against flowers to dislodge said pollen, spreading it in a different way than any other bee species. Beespees? Speespees? Speespees. Definitely speespees. I like the word speespees. And finally, in conservation news, with the eyes of the world turned to Tokyo for the Olympics, two former secretaries of state have combined to write an opinion piece in the Washington Post to say that it is time for Japan to finally end the sale and trade of elephant ivory. James A. Baker III, who was Secretary of State under President George H.W. Bush, and Hillary Rodham Clinton, who was Secretary of State under President Barack Obama, combined to write the article. They state that with the United States, Britain, China, Taiwan, Hong Kong, and Singapore all having closed their domestic markets for elephant ivory, Japan has become the world's largest remaining legal domestic ivory market. Obviously, the demand for ivory in this market is one of the, if not the main driving force in elephant poaching today. I'm sure that if you're listening to this, I don't have to give you a rundown of why the ivory trade is bad and poaching elephants is bad. But I did find it newsworthy that two former secretaries of state from opposite sides of the aisle came together to put pressure on Japan at this time. Very, very cool to see that. And now, in other news, 
A new study detected coronavirus antibodies in 40% of deer tested this year in the United States. That's right, y'all. Deer are getting COVID as well. It appears as though the deer are contracting COVID in the wild and mostly remain asymptomatic. And while it is believed that the possibility of deer-to-human transmission is low, it's hard to say for sure, but what it definitely means is that COVID has found another toehold in the United States outside of the human population. It also means that COVID could continue to evolve and change as it spreads from species to species. This is definitely an interesting situation and one worth monitoring to see how it develops. And finally, on a much lighter note, a company in Japan called Aqua has created what they call food chain stuffies. That's right, y'all. These are stuffed animals that illustrate the food chain because there are actually four animals in each one and the animals go in each other's mouths and are connected by a string. There's a North Pole version showing a polar bear eating a seal, eating a fish, eating a shrimp, and a South Pole version where an orca is eating a penguin, eating a fish, eating a shrimp. The animals are all adorable and smiling and happy, and they can actually all be packed in so that you can see all of them right in each other's mouths at the same weird, awkward time. Uh, reaction to this is mixed so far, but uh, I don't I don't think they're particularly cute, but I... I think they're hilarious and i think that they made zoo news so i guess that aqua is doing something right and now for this week's animal holidays we're gonna start off with a reminder that it is national catfish month have your celebrations planned tell all of your favorite catfish that you love them and then let's see here on Saturday, August 7th, it is Sea Serpent Day. On Sunday, August 8th, it is International Cat Day. Monday, the 9th, is International Day of the World Indigenous Peoples. And you may remember from a recent Zoo News that Indigenous people are actually pretty much the world's best conservationists. Uh, so that counts. Tuesday, the 10th, is World Lion Day. And then Thursday, the 12th, is World Elephant Day. And those are your animal holidays for the week. Well, there you have it, folks. Zoo News is done for another week. I would like to thank Zoe Vesley-Gross, Kim Cooley, Dr. Natalie Taco, Danny Poirier-Larsen, Emily Begay, Anya King, and Megan Barrett for sending in stories for the week. Don't forget that you can also send in stories by tagging me in them on the socials at Rossafari uh, or emailing them to me, rossafaripod at gmail.com. I'd also like to say thank you to my Red Panda level patrons, Laura Shank and PJ Bevan. Thank you both for your continued support. I super duper appreciate you. And don't forget, if you're listening to this, that you can also support the podcast by going to patreon.com slash Rossafari. And until next week, here are the Stiderk Yeswen. The Rossafari Podcast is produced, hosted, and engineered by John Rossi. Editing and fact-checking by John and Dr. Zoe Vesley-Gross. Our theme song is Sevens by Nathan Burke, performed by Nathan and John. Interrupting John theme and additional voices by Taylor Isaac Gray. 
You can reach John directly on Instagram and Facebook at Rossafari or by email at rossafaripod at gmail.com. Rossafari is part of the Daydreamer Media Network. Now, stop listening to me and go visit a zoo.